Hey, everybody. Before we start the Vergecast, Dieter and I want to tell you about two very cool things. The first is that we are holding our 10-year anniversary event in New York City on October 22nd and 23rd. It is called On The Verge, and it is going to be very cool. And the second is that at On The Verge, Dieter, Hello. my man, is going to premiere his very first documentary. It's called Springboard, The Secret History of the First Real Smartphone. Dieter, what is it about? It's about a little company called Handspring that time has almost forgot and how they struggled to make uh, what I consider the first real smartphone, which I'm sure many Symbian people are mad at me about. But it's an exciting story because this is a company that year after year, month after month, almost became as big as Apple is today, but just got held back by just crazy, crazy stuff. Dieter finally made a documentary about a device that runs Palm OS. We're all very proud of him. You have to watch it, though, because then I, if you do, I get to make the one about WebOS later. Uh, we're premiering this at our party. It's actually going to be a documentary premiere. We're going to have some other stuff around it. Dieter tells me there's a museum in the works. Mm-hmm. It's going to be great. This is going to be the highlight of our entire event. We're super pumped about it. There's all sorts of other stuff happening in this event. It's been amazing to watch this team put it together. It's our 10-year birthday party, and we wanted it to be about The Verge and, more importantly, about the Verge's audience. You know, we just came back from the Code Conference, which we're going to talk about in the Vergecast today. Code Conference all about billionaires and CEOs. Our event is about you. And so we, we wanted it to feel more about us and our audience. So we're going to obviously have a big opening act party with a DJ group called The Stickmen, who perform in LED light suits. Very exciting. There's a video on our website in the post. Watch it. It's going to be so cool. We have an indie game arcade. We have experimental art installations. Uh, including, obviously, we got to have some Instagram moments. We're going to have some Instagram moments. Uh, we have a creator showcase on the roof of the event venue, where we're going to have creators come and do talks and demos about what they're making with technology, which is the most Verge thing that we can think of. And, of course, we're not going to not have interviews. So we'll have a main stage of programming. We're going to have a live Vergecast with some Vergecast all-stars and alums from Verge history. We're hoping to break some news with some people from tech companies. We have a lot of ideas. It's going to be a great two days. We're premiering Dieter's Springboard documentary. We have all these experiences for you to have with us. We'd love for you to come. You can get tickets right now. You can go to voxmediaevents.com slash on the verge. Use promo code urge to verge. You get a discount. Oh my God. That's the promo code. Is that true? It's true. You get a $50 okay. discount if you use the promo code urge to verge. Voxmediaevents.com slash on the verge. October 22nd, 23rd. We would absolutely love to see you. Okay. Let's do the verge test. Support for the podcast comes from Canva. Presenting to a group of your colleagues can be nerve-wracking, so why not ease some of that anxiety with Canva? Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and that's it. You're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com, designed for work. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. 
Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello and welcome to VergeCast, the flagship podcast of the 5G revolution. Sponsored by the Solero 5G. I actually forgot to put this on our list. I got to put this on our list. Anyway, I'm Neelai, your friend. Dieter Bone is here. I'm saving it for the podcast. It's very good. Very good. Alex Kranz is here. I'm the carrot 5G. Wow. <laughs> very good. That's, 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 a, that's a very deep cut. That's a dad joke from a mom. <laughs> Non-mom. Look, we have a lot to talk about. Dieter and I actually saw each other for the first time in uh, over a year and a half, I think, at the Code Conference this week. I got to tell you. When you're going to see your very, very good friend for the first time after a year and a half, try and do it in a context where there aren't literally dozens of billionaires also vying for his attention. <laughs> uh, it was weird. We're going to talk about code. Alex Heath is going to join the show a little later. We're going to talk about code. But yeah, seeing a lot of people for the first time in an environment where we were in a hotel in Beverly Hills, but not allowed to leave the hotel. That's where you want to be. Just trapped in a hotel. <laughs> trapped in a hotel with billionaires. Uh, very strange. It was great to see Dieter. It was great to see Alex, saw Casey, a bunch of other uh, Verge friends and alumni. Um, and billionaires. Just an endless string of billionaires. Yeah. But can I just start? Can I, I'm going to start with Dish Network. There was an Amazon event. We have all this stuff to talk about. But I, can I just start with Dish Network? We're going to start with the important news. Yeah. The important stuff. Jennifer I. So as you know... T-Mobile bought Sprint and is part of this deal, which reduced the number of wireless carriers in America. Yep. Uh, the Trump administration manufactured a sale of assets to Dish Network. They actually brokered the sale. This is a Trump administration special, by the way. They tried to do the same shit with TikTok, which we're going to talk about later anyway. We are going to talk about that later. Because they're deal makers. Yeah. Like the Trump's head of the antitrust division of the DOJ was like, I know how to fix this. <laughs> and then he... He like negotiated this deal where Dish Network would become a new competitive wireless network. So we'd still have four. Right. I don't know if you've looked around. This has not yet occurred. <laughs> I'm holding out hope. Dish has a website for a new network called Project Genifivesis with a five in the place. Genifivesis. <laughs> still very confusing. And yet, and they own Boost Network. And yesterday they announced their first phone for Boost. Yeah. It's called the Solero 5G. It's spelled with the C. Imagine yeah. the word celery and then put an O on the end. <laughs> That's what you got here. It's a custom phone. It's a custom low-end phone uh, for Boost customers. Boost, by the way, still runs on T-Mobile's network with a deal to run an AT&T's network. So at no point is any of this happening on a competitive fourth network. But if you wish to buy a Solero 5G, that is now available to you. And this is the glorious wireless competition promised to us by the Trump administration. Yeah. If you buy one, tell us how it goes with like peanut butter and raisins. Here's my, I think it should be the name of a car in GTA five. It looks like an old Toyota Supra with the big wing. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, see what I'm saying? All right. There was actual news. Let's start with Amazon. They announced 45 things. Everything. As always. Actually slower year, only 45, not like 66, 66. <laughs> They finally brought together some of their divisions to make products together. We should talk about that. Just, you know, the usual stuff. Like, what if Alexa in a square, Alexa in a circle, triangle Alexa? You ever thought about, like, <laughs> still their strategy, just Shapes. throwing stuff at the wall to see what happens. So we got to start with this robot. Alex, what is going on with this robot? You know, it's, I mean, you could call it a robot. You could also call it a camera on wheels. It's called the Astro. It's called the Astro. Honestly, I think it's kind of cool. I think it's 
terrible. I probably wouldn't buy one, but I also think it's really, really cool. And if one fell into my lap, I would use it. What, what is it? And so it's a robot that like goes around your house and it's got little cameras on it. You could talk to it. It's basically Alexa on a robot that's right. like dog size. And it's going to roll around your house and like it can, if there's, you know, alerts around your house, you can go check on them. You can control it from your phone, like a little remote control robot. You can like talk to it and ask it to play music and follow you around. And it's got cup holders. And it has a, it has a screen that looks at you. Yeah. It has a whole screen. Like its whole face is a screen and it looks like. Yeah. And the screen is a face. The face is a screen and the screen is a, mostly shows a face. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it, it, like it's kind of like they they took one of the old shows and stuck it on some wheels, right? Is this at its at its core? This is an Echo show on a Roomba with no vacuum, right? Correct. And cup holders. Don't forget and the cup, cup holders. holders. And a periscope that like can rise up to look at things. So before we get any further, I just need to say that uh, Amazon insists that they didn't name this after Astro the dog from Jetsons, and I don't believe them. Number one. Number two, Astro was a real dog. Rosie was the robot. So they are confused <laughs> on multiple levels. Well, I could have called it Rosie because it can't like clean or do any of the things Rosie did. Oh, God. Also, the horrible gender politics of the Jetsons robot. Oh, you, are you suggesting that Amazon has got bad gender politics with its digital assistants? Oh, <gasps> that, that would be completely new oh. for them. Didn't they add a male voice to Alexa finally? Yeah, and I, I think that they, they stopped gendering the voices at that time, but they were like three years behind everybody else. Yeah. By the way, uh, Alex, you haven't been here for this, but for a long time, every episode of the Richcast, uh, we would remind people not to gender robots. Yeah. yeah. Because it was just like real bad. Amazon was like, no, Alexa's a lady. <laughs> She's just a little lady we've trapped into a tube. <laughs> yeah. And you talk to her. But they've, they've, they've backed off of this idea. Here, Okay, here's my question about this. I'm like looking at the our coverage and watching their videos, robots are supposed to do things, right? Right. I think that's kind of the problem of Astro is that to a certain extent, it's just a rolling version of that ring drone that we're going to talk about in a little bit, right? Like it's just surveillance on wheels that can sometimes that can play music for you if you want. And theoretically, you could control it and send put a drink in it and send it to somebody else in your house and they can take the drink out of it. But I think they have big aspirations, right? They have these really big aspirations. So one of their aspirations is you're going to be able to buy like accessory kits for it. So they right. described a scenario to me wherein you give this to your uh, aging parents or grandparents and then it toodles around the house and keeps an eye on them, makes sure they're on the move and hanging out, whatever. The thing also will, quote unquote, hang out. It like learns your family's patterns and learns when it should be around and when it should go away, apparently. Yeah. But you're going to be able to buy like an accessory kit, for example, a blood pressure monitor. So like you, it'll like instead of you'll take the cup holders out, and then you'll it'll be like the blood pressure detector on it with the cuff. And then when it's time, it'll like roll up to dad, and it'll call you, and you're like, Dad, check your blood pressure, and he'll be like, Okay, and then he'll attach the the cuff that's attached to the robot to check his mm. blood pressure, and then everyone will do a little dance. I don't know. That's that's part of their plan. I don't know. I talked to my parents after after this came out because they're both they're like in their seven. They're baby boomers, right? Like they're the generation that this is kind of built for. And I was like, if I bought you a robot that would follow you around and remind you to take your medication, would you use it? And they were both like, I would hit it with a bat. Yeah, like, <laughs> I, just, I can't. Dieter, I will give you if one year from now, market Vergecast audience. I know one of you will. Someone's got a Google sheet open already. If one year from now, there is 
a blood pressure accessory for this version of Astro, I will I will give you one hundred dollars. Like it's just not going to happen. And I that use case, I get it. I get where it's coming from, right? And we saw it in in particular, we saw it in Japan first. We actually covered a bunch of these, like. As a population gets older, the market for elder tech booms. We've covered it at CES. Like, there's already markets where that is, it's just happening. And now it's happening to the US market. And so you have this idea of like, this robot will help old people. And that is great. And you like sketch out the scenario where you're like helping them do their, like, whatever. And then you back that down to reality, which is a <laughs> Roomba without a vacuum with an echo on it. And you're like, hold up. Like, how will it take the blood? Like, even if the hardware, the blood pressure cuff hardware, because there is a lot Mm -hmm. of connected blood pressure cuff hardware, even if you get that to work and you figure out which of the myriad USB-C specs you need to support on both sides of that chain to connect the things. Is the is the uh, like Alexa OS going to support hooks to a provider? Is there are you going to have a database? Is the database secure? Who owns the database? Like none of that is operable. Oh, no, but see, it's all handled by the ambient AI, uh, ambient <laughs> UI in the cloud, which we could talk about in a minute because I did talk to Dave Lim. But like, I just want to point out that we have moved from what's a computer to what's a photo to what's a robot. So like the march of technology has progressed. No, yeah. I'm going to stop you. This is not a robot. I don't think it's a robot. What makes it not a robot? I think making something move around does not make it a robot. Okay. Right? It needs to have a utility it needs to automate some task for you. Oh, so it needs to interact with the physical world in a way other than moving around in it, is what yeah. you're saying. That's what that's what defines a robot. No, it needs to automate a task for you. So, like, you know, we did uh, I did that episode of Decoder with, with Kevin Roos about robotic process automation, where, like, yeah, yeah. a very smart KVM switch uses Excel for accountants around the world. And then those accountants, I don't know, <laughs> go hopefully get some other skills. Um, <laughs> that's I think that's a robot. There are software robots in this world, right? They're doing right. a thing for you. They're able to manipulate something on your behalf. Uh, this is like, it just toodles around. It sets alarms. It sets alarms. it set two at once? Sure, yeah. That, uh, <laughs> that's like Alexa's superpower compared to every other digital assistant. Yeah, I don't know, man. That's that's all I'm saying. Like, I, I, I buy that we should have some argument about what a robot is or isn't. But even by the barest definition, this thing is not. It's just a, it's an RC car with an Alexa mounted to it. <laughs> but it moves around on its own and potentially, you know, like, hey, man, when it gets us some stairs, it may or may not fall down them. Uh, so we should talk. Do you want to do you want to talk about this, Doc Dieter? This is from Motherboard, which is doing excellent work all the time. So they got a bunch of developer documents from like people working on this thing internally. And the TLDR is it's a disaster. It can't do stair detection. And so it'll just like tumble down them uh, and just uh, it sounded like it was an unmitigated disaster, which, by the way, um, that lines up with uh, the reporting ahead of the event from Mark Gurman, who suggested that this thing might not have been ready to be released this past week. Who knows? Amazon, by the way, very aggressive uh, this week in on multiple fronts in pushing back on negative stories. They shot us a, a note that said that this report was inaccurate and they also uh, suggested that all of these developer reports about it being an unmitigated disaster were old. Well, the the sources at, at, at Motherboard were like not current employees, right? Sure. But I mean, I don't know. Uh, how long did it take Roomba to go from like unable to stop bouncing into walls into, uh, you know, like getting trapped by furniture? I mean, Roomba just this year added the 
don't roll over dog shit mode so that it just, like, you know, drags it all over your house, right? It took them a decade to get there. You know, how long for uh, Amazon to get there? I don't know. I would say Roomba is like uh, somewhat famously slow. Yeah. Right. They're yeah. like cheaper competitors that were doing more sensing. But yeah. Roomba has like the brand name. I just love like this line from the stock. It would throw it, it would throw itself downstairs if presented with the opportunity. <laughs> like <laughs> same. It's it's not. It often throws itself downstairs. It's if it sees stairs. It's, it's going like, for it. Goodbye. <laughs> this is a, the only way to know. With all of this Amazon stuff, we can only know when it comes out. Yeah. And this thing is announced to kind of not come out. The Ring drone was announced last year. Mm-hmm. It's a year later. It's not out. These events often, on the one hand, they're like, we shoved a chip in a microwave and we made a $60 microwave that will destroy the microwave industry. And Alexa can make it beep or whatever. And you're like, okay, I get it. Like, two great tastes that no one thought of putting together. <laughs> there was no Echo Auto sh- stuff at this one, right? They And they released it and it was like, the Echo Auto was like in your car, it was Alexa in your car, and no one could figure out what it was for. Yeah. Like, you're, you don't often set timers while driving. <laughs> you're often in range of clocks. And they just kind of like didn't update it. They haven't talked about it. The Echo Link, remember they made all that Sonos stuff? Oh, yeah, yeah. None of that stuff is updated, barely even talked about anymore. Like, Amazon sometimes releases this stuff. They sometimes announce it. Uh, they announced, remember, uh, delivery drones? Yeah. Anyone gotten a drone delivery? I remember the the final episode of what was it? Parks and Recreation was like in set now, I think. And they're like, oh, yes, here's our Amazon drones flying in with our packages <laughs> every day. Who's not getting a drone delivery? Primera, that's what it's called. I just think Amazon announces about half of the stuff to make you think that they're way ahead of the curve yeah. with mm-hmm. some fanciful ideas about elder care and blah, blah, blah. And then the other half of the stuff is extraordinarily iterative updates to the things people are buying. And they, there's just like a concept car element to this that they won't cop to. Yeah. They were ahead of the curve once, right? Like they did the initial echo and that was honestly ahead of the curve, right? Like that, that kind of changed things that introduced this whole new category of things and everything after feels like they're just kind of trying to chase that one success. Yeah. What if we put an echo in a thermostat? Huh? What if we put it in a remote control car and stick a cute face on it and have it follow you around? (laughs) It'd be awesome if this was like an actual RC car with an echo on it and they had to build it the way I did when I was a teen. So I don't know. We'll see what happens with Astro. We we have more reporting to come. Dieter, did they say when it was going to come out? Uh, Fall and invite only is the, the key thing there. So next fall, invite only. Yeah, well, uh, no, I think this fall. It's supposed to be this um, fall. Fall is over. Yeah. Well, no, fall doesn't end until December 21st. We know this from all the rumors about the Apple Watch. Everyone, when Apple says it's coming this fall, everyone immediately checks the calendar to be like, okay, when does fall technically end? And now we know. <laughs> oh, well, Q3 is over, is what I would say. Yeah. Uh, yes, that's true. That's how I think of the year. <laughs> <laughs> Not all, all right. of us are financial analysts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm poisoned by my career. <laughs> All right. They announced a bunch of other stuff. There's an Echo Show 15. This I'm excited about. Yeah, it's it's cool. It's a 15 inch display. It's got it's on the wall. It's it's got a camera, so you can you know chat whatever the the Amazon equivalent of FaceTime is with family and friends. And it's got a whole new chip in it, the the AZ2, which is supposed to be able to better recognize faces. So it should better recognize your face when you're using it. Hmm. And it feels a little like. I think if you're one of those people that's using Amazon to talk to family and friends, this is probably a good thing. I think if you're not one of those people, 
this makes no sense for you to own. I mean, I like mm. the idea of a, a picture frame that hangs on the wall. That is why it makes sense. That and the idea that maybe they'll actually make the screen useful for something other than showing weather and uh, ads for Amazon things and like completely useless news updates. Yeah, the picture of this, by the way, is very funny. Just go look at the picture. of it. It's a giant screen on the wall. And then because Amazon does not have any services, the widgets that they've chosen to display in their own marketing material are the most mundane things I've ever seen in my entire life. Imagine that you have a giant screen on your wall. It's huge. I'm doing right? it. I'm imagining it. I've pulled over in my car. You have a 15-inch 1080p display in your wall. Yeah. By the way, can, can we just talk about how, like, we're talking about a 15-inch 1080p display as quote-unquote huge. I just want... Okay. It's tiny. <laughs> well, it's, have it's, you seen TVs lately? <laughs> <laughs> well, just like a giant echo on your wall compared yeah. to everything else. Here's what Amazon is like. Here's what the people are going to rev up for. A recipe for fresh berry yogurt parfait. Mm. Uh, mm -hmm. Your calendar, of which one entire, like, there's like a list, like a, like a agenda view, and then like the actual month view, in case you forgot what day it is. Then there's a shopping list that says asparagus, eggs, <laughs> granola, and blueberries. The blueberries, presumably, for the berry parfait that you're making. Yeah. Then there's like three, it's just three smart home switches like the lights and then there's a sticky note that just says good luck with the pitch yeah and i'm like why would i put any of this on the wall <laughs> like, like what at what point throughout the day i'm like oh shit do i need asparagus and i glance at the wall I'm like yes yeah do i need to think about parfait it's what it what it is not is a photo which is like the thing you want to hang, hang on the wall and then Dan, because Dan is an enormous smart home nerd, immediately said, hey, why, why can I see the cord of this display? Because they're just hanging down. Yep. And they're like, yeah, that's, uh, that's how we're going to show it to you. And he asked if the cord was rated for in-wall use so you could mount it behind the thing or run it to an outlet. And they're like, uh, we'll get back to you. Their, their marketing materials don't seem to show the cord. Uh, this one picture has the cord. Yeah. There's there's others where they were not. There's others where the cord is missing, and it's like, huh. They just use a heel brush. Yeah. <laughs> Content aware yeah. fill on the cord. That's a button. I think all of Amazon's Echo ambitions are they're hitting the wall of their services not being any good. Yeah. Well, it's not just their services. It's the, the, it's their platform. So right. this Echo Show 15, I'm very excited about because we currently have an iPad in our kitchen. And my partner, Disclosure, actually, I don't need to disclose who she works for right now, has threatened to get <laughs> one of those microwaves that has an Android tablet on it because yeah. we would like to have our own recipes easily available. And the thing you can't do on this Echo is you know, run apps. You can run Amazon widgets from developers that have bothered to make a widget for the Echo Show ecosystem. But, you know, sorry to the 13 of you who have done this. There's just not enough of them. And, you know, you can't make a smart home dashboard out of it. You like that interface is not great. Um, you can't get your own recipes on it uh, unless you go through their web browser, which if you've ever tried to use a web browser on a show device, no, thank you. And then uh, like I was saying, like your photos are meh. So like not only are there their service is not quite there. Like their app platform, such as it is, is not quite there. And this gets to the question of like, what exactly is Amazon's ecosystem? What's its platform? What's its operating system? And what can it do and who is it for? And what it can do and who it's for seems to be, you know, what it can do is get you to buy more gadgets and who it's for are for the companies that make those gadgets. 
All of which is a great service to them, but not to necessarily to us. I think they thought their their platform was like Alexa skills and smart home mm-hmm. stuff. And to some extent, they are correct. To some much more realistic extent, that never happened. Right. Right. Like the smart home stuff has happened and that is yeah. legitimately fun and cool. But the idea that you're going to spend your days talking to Alexa that mediates your relationship to some other thing and you have a a voice relationship with the New York Times app or whatever is like not true. It just hasn't happened for them. So then the devices, they've added screens to the devices, which is smart because looking at things is also useful. And I don't think either Google or Amazon have done a good job with the screens that they have. But the yeah. one reason we have Google Home devices in our house instead of Alexa devices is because Google Photos is great. Right. Well, it was great. They haven't been doing a great job of it the past year, I would say. Google Photos continues to relentlessly exist. <laughs> it's like that is exactly it is very relentlessly existing <laughs> in the last few months. But it's the one to use, right? And yeah. there's a many Right. It was free. They killed all the competitors and now the competitors are dead. So they're charging for it like a whole corner of conversation there. But it works. It's on our phones. It's uploading the photos automatically. It's sorting them. It's doing AI. It has a consumer grade interface. Amazon photos is like, remember Windows Mm 3.1? Well, would you like to use it? (laughs) Because like Amazon photos is not an updated or care for product. It's not doing the smart stuff Google does. And there's no way you would use it, right? Like Google Home has a lock-in to Google Photos in like a real way. Yeah. So we have Google Home devices. I think it was Dieter and I had talked about this before, like with Luna. A lot of this is just Amazon wants to be in spaces. It doesn't care if it's good or not because it's Mm -hmm. so big that it doesn't have to be. Like it can just exist and people are going to be like, yeah, all right. That's cheap. I'm on Amazon. I'm not going to research everywhere else. I'll get it. Yeah. And, and and like so much of the strategy for, for its smart home stuff nowadays is less about like making really usable stuff and just being like, yeah, right, I'll be there. Uh, this is a space I could exist in because I'm huge. I'm Amazon. So here's the thing. Here's, here's how I see what's going on here. Amazon saw that the smart home was relatively ignored by the rest of big tech. They didn't know quite what to do. And they got a win with the Echo. Yeah. And so they have flooded, literally flooded the zone. The zone is your house and they flooded it with gadgets um, because there's like they've got an edge there. And so they're taking that lead. But they're doing it while they're still developing the idea of what an ambient OS is, what an ambient UI is. It's like partly in the cloud and partly local. And, you know, we could talk about what stuff happens on the edge and your devices and what stuff happens in the cloud and where the app ecosystem is and blah, 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 blah. But the bottom line is it's like, it's not quite ready. So while other companies were maybe hanging back and trying to build out the whole thing and they're in five years, the the smart home is going to be amazing. Amazon's like, yeah, in five years, it might be amazing, but we want to sell you stuff now. So we're going to sell you all the beta products. Yeah. Um, and there's a tiny part of me, maybe not that tiny, that is like fine with that, like sympathetic to that, like like eager to participate it, in it in some ways. Like I do want to have some of this stuff now and I'm willing to deal with some bugs now. And I think the the second piece of this is when everybody saw Astro, there was a resounding earth shattering nope from everybody saying that I don't want this thing because uh, it's a surveillance gadget. But, you know, like who's who's the who's doing the surveilling? It's like, well, is Amazon using the cameras if we trust them? Uh, maybe not. And so we're surveilling ourselves and there's a whole thing there. Uh, you talk about ring cameras, you can get those end to end encrypted now. So like, there is no external surveillance if you set that up properly. But we're deep in the weeds 
at this point for the average person. The average person is like still kind of likes Amazon. Amazon still does better than all the other big tech companies in terms of like do consumers yeah. like them. And so the average person will look at that Echo Show 15 and be like, oh, it's not a big dumb plastic gadget on my counter. It's a nice thing on the wall and maybe I can put like a shared calendar on it. Done. So I think they're they're doing fine with this stuff. Like it's not like it's not a beautifully perfect curated ecosystem. It's a messy, messy, messy ecosystem with lots of like privacy implications that are very troubling. But the stuff is cheap and the stuff is available now. It's not uh, self-driving cars will be here in five years. Pipe dream promise. Yeah, no, I buy all that. I think all that's correct. The thing you're saying that it's all kind of in beta and they don't know what the platform is means that you're buying stuff that kind of fundamentally isn't very useful, hmm. right? Or not more useful than the old form factor was. And I, I'm the one who most routinely makes the case that all people care about is what they look like, right? Like mm-hmm. it's a bigger screen. They're going to buy a new one because it looks different and you can articulate what's different. This one's a circle. and like, you just buy it. God, I've done that. <laughs> I'm telling you. I have the, it on my desk right now. The exact same functionality in a, in a new shape. And it's like the most, it's, it's the easiest sale you can make. <sighs> but th- like right now where they're at is they don't have the app platform on the screen. So there's no development case for what's happening on the screen. And they don't have one in the cloud that delivers services to this thing. See, the thing is, DLI, technically you're wrong about all of that shit. They have all of that. It's just that we don't we don't have a framework for thinking about it. And it's like it's so fuzzy how you access it and set it up. And like, yeah. how often do you want to dig into the Alexa app into its settings to like really gain control of it? They have all of it, but it's very messy and like bad. But they have it technically. Right. But the Alexa app is like not a delight to use. No. I, I switched to Siri because I couldn't do it anymore and i probably just activated it but <laughs> we've been activating people's devices this entire time we're so yeah. sorry everybody we haven't tried to not say the a word at all and yeah. we're very very sorry but yeah like it's a horrible horrible app and if you move i i moved and i was like oh i'll, I'll keep going with it and i was like no i have to switch to apple because i have to delete manually delete all like 40 lights i had attached to it and i was like that's why should no one should do that? It's just like terrifically bad. Yeah, I will say that um, I own a, a Hoobs, which is a rebranded home bridge. I think yeah. we have some home assistant developers that listen to our show. Like, there are fun open source projects that bridge all these ecosystems together yes. in various ways. And if you are listening to this show, you should play with them. Like, it, they will delight you and entertain you because you're just like, a, you're doing something that the big companies do not want you to do, and b. Uh, you too can be a Linux system admin. <laughs> when it fails. It's really quite fun. And when it works, it's great. Although Dieter and I were just together at Code and I was like showing him my little Homebridge setup. And then he was like, mine's broken. Yep. <laughs> that, and that's about right. Like 50% of the time, you're like, I can't, oh, it's, uh, I'll show you at a later time. Uh, yeah. But it's fun to monkey with. All that said, the Echo stuff is neat. I just think that in a weird way, the competition between Amazon and Google in particular has stagnated. I would not say the competition from Apple has stagnated because they're like they're so far behind. It's it stagged. It's it's like they're trying to catch it's like up. Not even the whole word. And they and they still have a phone in your pocket, right? Like they're yeah. still. Yeah. I'm not saying like Google is doing a good job. No. If you like read the subreddit for like Google Home, everyone's like, "What's going on here? This stopped working." Uh, yeah. It's it's much harder to set up smart home stuff on the Google platform. So, so hang on, they, they announced forty five things. We've gotten through like two and a half. Okay, like, the, we 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 haven't even talked about the weirdest shit they've put on the stage. Well, here we've been. Let's take a break and come back and talk about the weirdest shit. Okay, we'll be right back. 
Support for this podcast comes from Canva. They say Rome wasn't built in a day, but you know what you can get built in a day? Your creative deck. You can generate creative decks to use for all your important presentations with Canva. Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. You want a sales presentation for a tech company? Done. Create an employee onboarding plan? No problem. Just type it in and watch Canva work its magic. You'll have generated options in seconds. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver at work. So whatever you do at your job, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. It's AI for every department. It's easy to learn. It's even easier to use. And because it's built in Canva presentations, you can stay focused on the task at hand with no app switching. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Design for work. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Okay, we're back. Where do you want to start? Do you want to start with the Glow or your favorite, the Ring Alarm Pro? Oh, it's okay. That's we have to start there because I do not want anyone thinking that my favorite is the <laughs> Ring Alarm Pro. Everybody, hang on just a minute. I do not want to share any information with any cops. It's a new version of the Ring Alarm. Their you know home security system. The reason I like it is not the Ring part; it's the Eero part. So it has Eero built in, uh, which is great. Uh, every smart home device should be a Wi-Fi bridge in some way, shape, or form. Uh, they're already all sidewalk bridges from Amazon now, so that's exciting. Um, but it has an LTE modem built in. And so oh. if your internet goes down and it can tell, it will provide emergency backup via LTE to your Wi-Fi network via its built-in Eero router uh, for like, I think you get like three gigabytes a month or something. It's not much, but it's enough to be like, oh, the Wi-Fi is down, the internet is down, but the Wi-Fi is back. And now I am like on this emergency thing. And I think, but I have to verify this, that it will be able to do, like you could set up like, theoretically like an Eero profile. It's like, if the internet goes down, don't let the TV keep streaming stuff, but make sure the phones still have access or, you know, or whatever. Yeah. And two thoughts. One, every home router should have an LTE modem in it. They're so cheap now that like, yep, I would happily pay a few bucks a month to have emergency backup LTE internet for my house in case the power goes out. Two, can we all just pause and appreciate the fact that it's an LTE modem because cost in reality <laughs> and not a 5G yeah. uh, millimeter wave modem? I like that because it also, like, you know, the promise of 5G is that it will replace your internet. And yeah. I'm like, no, we don't even want yeah. you to think about that. The thing that actually replaces your internet is, a, you know, 
the off-the-shelf LTE modem because they cost nothing now. <laughs> oh, LTE was supposed to replace your own, right? Yeah. America's wireless carriers, everyone. Um, I love this, actually. I like the ring. We have a ring system. There are no cops here. It's like, like there's like <laughs> social dilemmas. If you live in a larger community, we don't like mine mostly catches bears. So I don't know. One time I called the environmental police and asked them about a bear and they're like, you're good. And that was the end of the internet. <laughs> First of all, the agency was called the environmental police and I was just delighted to call them just to be like, are you real? Anyway, so we have ring stuff. It, it, they're the best cameras you can buy. That's why they're that's why they're popular. They do have excellent uh, consumer interfaces. Like the apps are good, all that stuff. But it is, it's, they own both companies. Amazon owns Ring and Eero. And they have always needed to like merge these things together. And I think it's neat that there's like local processing on this device for your cameras. Yeah, they've got a whole new like uh, new processor that they're putting in a bunch of their stuff that they're very excited about. Yeah. It's funny, but you still have to pay for the cloud storage, even if you do the local processing. Like, you just have to pay the fee. They're like, whatever. It might be faster, though, which is cool. You might use less bandwidth. The idea that you won't have, like, a separate hub. Like, you have an Eero, you can replace your Eero, and you can upgrade your Eero. They need reasons for people to upgrade their Eeros. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you, like, Mars have just been running for five years, and they're fine. Unless you have really fast internet, you have no reason to upgrade your Eeros. So I think all that stuff is smart. The LTE failover is just great. Did you see the battery packs? Their battery Mm. packs? You can, no, buy you can buy a $130 USB-C battery pack that'll run this thing for eight hours if your power fails. Oh. So every, everything will stay up. Couldn't you just buy a UPS? Yeah, you could do that too. Yeah. Or you can buy a <laughs> dollars would be smart. Um, the USB, this USB-C connection for the power only works with the Ring power packs. Wow. Uh, I love it. Uh. <laughs> very good. Very, very good. <laughs> I don't know. I, there's like, we've been waiting for Amazon and to bring its various acquisitions together. This is the first time they've done it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's funny to me is they own another camera company called Blink, and Blink and <laughs> Ring, nothing. Like, yeah, but Blink and but but Ring and Euro are talking. Like eventually they'll all, they'll all have a party. But like it's 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 the pandemic. They're they're starting their social <laughs> gathering small, and then eventually they'll invite more people. Yeah. I completely forgot that Blink was another company, and I thought it was just like, that's what we're calling our really cheap ring devices. <laughs> that would make sense. So they said Blink sales are like up. Yeah, because they're really cheap. Right. They said they tripled. Mm-hmm. So what, four. Did the number that tripled, was it single digits? Was yeah. It oh, excuse me, nine. They, yeah. they <laughs> no, sold nine they, now. <laughs> they sold Bezos Blinks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, all this is just like ridiculous, but they announced like a new Blink doorbell, which is hilarious. Because they, that's the Ring product. Yeah. yeah. And they just, also announced a Blink doorbell last year, and it never came out. Like, the things well. Amazon announces that don't come out include, like, a drone for your home and yeah. a $50 doorbell. And I, I'm pretty sure the $50 doorbell was killed in, like, a strategy session, not because they couldn't execute it. Whereas right. the drone, they're like, no, it's... It's killing people. We should yeah. we should work on this. It throws so, itself so they, down the stairs. Did they just wait until they were like fully saturated on ring doorbell cells? And they're like, okay, now we can go for that cheaper market. We can go lower. But the systems don't work together. Yeah. Right. So it's just like very It's confusing. for people who are too cheap. They do They do if your hoop server is up. <laughs> That's there true. Although uh, uh, Thomas Ricker wrote about trying to add Blink to uh, his Homebridge system. Uh-huh. And the Blink API will just delete, like, it'll ban your account if you hit it. Oh, too great. Wow. Nice. He was enraged. And I read this story, and I was like, 
I mean, Thomas dollars down the drain. Like when you get an angry Dutchman writing about API access, that's just gold. That's internet. Well, gold. also this is incredibly hypocritical because Amazon will will talk night and day about how it wants to be open and it wants open access to to voice assistants and blah 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 blah. They just gave uh you know a, a whole talking point about Sonos saying we we want we we made Google Assistant and Alexa work together on our speaker at the same time and Google won't let us and Amazon's like we would we think they should. So the fact that they are trying to kill interoperability on Blink shows that they are fundamentally being being disingenuous about a lot of this so-called openness stuff. Yeah, that was like Rickers. The, you should, we'll link this in the show. It's <laughs> you like just very, channeled him. That very was really funny. good. Uh, yeah. But because and also it's like five people in the world are like, I want my my weird little <laughs> Linux Raspberry Pi to talk to me. Yeah, like, but we but we write for the Verge, so <laughs> <laughs> we found them. We found all five of them. We went to their houses individually. Um, but anyway, but it's interesting. Like these systems do not interoperate at all. Yeah. Except for the neighbors app, which is like the most problematic part of the entire ring ecosystem. You can send <sighs> your blink videos to the neighbors app. Meanwhile, on the radio side, which is much more complicated because like, you know, the blink has a hub. Yeah. That standard is not in any of this new stuff, but they're like, mm-hmm. we're going to figure out how to make Z wave and Zigbee work. Eros already support thread. We've got this ring proprietary radio thing to support like, they're doing the like the hardest part of radio engineering to make one single hub. And they're like, no, but Blink, you still have this crap box hub that you have to plug yeah. into the wall. <laughs> I don't know. I think that like this is the sort of stuff when we were like sad when Amazon bought Eero. Like Dieter wrote a piece that he was like sad about it. Like here was like an innovative startup. They made a great product. They were doing well. They their burn rate was too high and they just failed into the arms of a big tech company. And we all had emotions about it. And yeah. this is the sort of thing that we expected them to do. It's fine that they're doing it, I guess. All right, man. We I thought we were going to blaze through this, and instead, yeah, we're not. We're like we haven't even brought up the fact that they made a Fitbit. That they they took their Halo product and just like, what if we made it a fit? What if we made it a Fitbit? And everyone Fitbit was like, what? what wait, hey God, oh, I guess we're all by Google now. We're fine. <laughs> an eighty dollar Fitbit. So they made the Halo View, which is just like an eighty dollar Fitbit with none of the really expensive sensors that that a lot of people want but just like the main stuff so like pedometer heart rate everything i don't think it even has heart rate actually and i think the big thing about it is it just it's going after fitbit but it's also going after apple and fitness plus cuz it's like yeah it's bundling in you get this $3 $4 a month app that you can get workouts and stuff from to use with your $80 view halo view that doesn't have the microphone in it to judge your voice which is like the thing everybody hated about the original view so they they kind of were like the original halo they were like okay we're gonna go we're gonna build something and try to be like a little different and unique with our wearable and they're like no 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 we're just gonna undercut fitbit never mind (laughs) (laughs) that was dumb just undercut there's like a world in which you feel really bad about this like amazon does this to other companies all the time right like they're like, you made a laptop stand. Now we made the same one from the same supplier, but ten dollars cheaper, and we gave it prominence in search when they search. Like, that's bad. Fitbit is now owned by Google, and it is amazing how that has wiped out any whatever. Like, let them fight, I say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just go to war. Sorry. The Halo View does actually have most of the same sensors, so it's got heart rate, it's doing blood oxygen level, it's doing skin temperature, which I think is one of the ones that like. Fitbit has been trying to use to figure out your stress levels and stuff. And really, this is just like a super cheap Fitbit. And, and it's also got like 
this what is it halo membership which is four dollars a month and you get all the the apps which i don't think will be anywhere as good as fitness plus i mainly say that because i'm gonna go do pilates after this recording on fitness plus i love it yeah i mean i'm curious we'll see it could be as good and it's only four dollars a month which is way better than what you're paying for fitness plus but like yeah and then it's also it went after it's doing this halo nutrition which is so you can count your calories and everything and it's got, you know, the Alexa integration and it's it's doing all the sleep scan sleep analysis and activity point systems and all this other junk. And it's just cheap Fitbit. Yeah. Like that's it. It's cheap Fitbit. Yeah, but now I'm saying, like, it's <laughs> my Google, like let them, yeah, let them go. It's, it's right? fine. It's fine. Like I love that they, they they made no effort to like make it look like anything else. Like they 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 were like, Oh, could we do a watch like form factor? Like make it look like all the other wearables? No. No, we're just going to do a fit a fitness band <laughs> that looks and not even like a recent one. Like this looks like remember the Samsung fitness band from like 2016? That's what this looks like. But yeah, it's got, you know, it's it's got this like color display which is nice cuz it took Fitbit 40 years to put a color display into a wearable and it's super cheap. So but I don't know if like the the wearable market, the drive for really cheap wearables kind of went away five years ago. So Amazon is really, really late to this party. I have a Whoop update. The CEO of Whoop was at Code. Yeah. Uh, He's just living his best life. Yeah. Uh, They're apparently doing quite well. Also, (laughs) for better or worse, anytime anything happens with Whoop, people tweet at us now. (laughs) Like we have single handedly like created a social engagement feedback loop for this company. (laughs) They're doing it. Okay. If you are, uh, if you are a parent, if you're lucky enough to be a parent of say a Uh three-year-old, any age between three and nine, if you're a parent and you also are lucky enough to have your parents around, I want you to close your eyes. Actually, no, pull over in your car and then close your eyes. And I want you to think about, your three-year-old's uh, ability to use technology and your parents' ability to use technology. And then I want you to put those two things together and imagine <laughs> them doing a teleconference with a projected game board. Yep. That is... This. <laughs> does yeah. does Amazon ahead. have, like, older people that work there? Like, do they talk to older people, like grandparents? Product, by the way, is called the Amazon Glow. And it is a tabletop projector. And the idea is uh, your kids... Your kids get bored during video calls, which is true. They just like absolutely true. They just yeah. wander off. They're like, "Hi, okay, this is not interesting," and they they bail. And the grandparents are sad. So what they've done is they've made a video conference system that projects a game board on a table on a nineteen inch plastic mat, and then on the other end, the grandparent or the aunt or whomever has a tablet, and then they both control what's happening on the board, the puzzle or the game or the ebook or whatever. And so then the kid is less likely to wander off because you've captured them with a screen. <laughs> yeah. So it's like a monolith looking thing with a screen in the base. Yep. That shows like a FaceTime size screen that shows like your parent. Yeah. And then there's a projector in front of you. So you get a rectangle on the, on the surface in front of the monolith type thing. I, right. I love So that. I'm just like, I, okay. I mean, I, I'm the market that Dieter's talking about. I have a three-year-old. I have parents with varying levels of computer ability. Yeah. They're all brilliant, by the way. I just want to put that out there. It's, um, so their brilliant, brilliance is not expressed onto touch screens. <laughs> it's about <laughs> as nicely as I can say that. Just the, the, the idea that I'm going to tell my parents, like, 
you're going to download an app onto your iPads. Presumably, they're going to make an iOS app. Right. And then that thing will call a hardware device in my home that you've never seen because we're not going to set these up together, right? So it's going to call a hardware device in my home that you've never seen. That thing will then light up a projector, and then you're going to play a game with my kid Mm -hmm. who's FaceTime with you. Yep. I don't know. What is the interface of the tablet? It's the screen. Is it a split screen? No, it's just like there's a, there's a hovering face and then the, the, the interface is the, is the interface of this projected screen. So they can, they can obviously see the kid. There's a camera in the model. Yeah. So there's a camera to like see the kid and then the kid can see the thing. And I think their idea is that it's more likely that the kid will call the grandparent, which, which means that they'll be sitting there like ringing up grandma nonstop. (laughs) If you give them access to the glow. They do that. My, My friend's kid. Does it all the time. Like I was, we were at the beach one time and, and my, my, her, her aunt just got a message from her and was like, she was like on the phone being like, Hey guys, what are you all doing? Can we just hang out now? And we're like, we're at the beach. Go away. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. If I had a button in my house that could, uh, that Max would push to irritate other people at a, at a long distance, <laughs> should we push it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I like the idea. I mean, every projected display idea Right. There's like latency problems. There's resolution problem. Uh, it's a projector. Can you use it in a bright room? Uh, they recommend not using it next to a bright window. So go to the dark, child. And call your grandparents. <laughs> Sit in the cave. <laughs> they also recommend that you project it on the white mat, which they promise is easy to clean. Uh, by uh, the way, one of the features of this thing is like coloring, like digital coloring. So, of course, it's going to get covered up with crayons and stuff. Um, if you buy it, it, it comes with Amazon sort of standard kids warranty where they'll just like if things break because the kid chucked it out a window or whatever, they'll just replace it for a couple of years. And but the one of the things you can do actually this is cool. So in a, there's another camera on it in addition to oh the camera boy. looks at the kid and it looks at the screen and so the kid can like run over with their toy or this thing that they drew on another piece of paper or this little cutout or you know the the turkey that they made in arts and crafts or whatever throw it on the board and then hit a button and then the camera will scan it and then it becomes a digital object on their little drawing that they can move around and manipulate and do stuff with. And it also shows up on the, you know, on the tablet end too. So that's kind of cool. That's, that's kind of neat. Why does it look like a teleconferencing device though? Like there was no effort. It feels like to make it kid friendly. Yeah, it's not cuddly at all. <laughs> Have you seen any of Amazon's gadgets? They don't make it look nice. It takes them six years to figure out how to make something look nice. The Echo was a was a Pringles can for years <laughs> before they finally figured, oh wait, fabric is a thing. <laughs> it just looks like something in a conference room. And I, it's just teleconferencing for kids, which is wild to me. You know, they can't call each other. They can only call a tablet. So you can't set up a play date with them. Oh, that's hilarious. Because I would buy another one for my parents, have someone else set it up and be like, now you can push a button. Yeah. To, the, can nope. they call other Echo devices? Uh, I believe they can only call the iOS apps you and the, the, the Android tablet apps. You can, you can technically use it on a phone, but would you want to control a 19-inch screen with your phone? By the way, when I say control the screen, I'm referring to both the child and the person, the teleconference grandparent or parent or aunt or whomever. There's no like... You can just like take over and keep the kid from messing with the screen. So when the kid gets bored and starts like pushing buttons, there's nothing you can do about it. You both have total control. Okay. So I just want to talk about the marketing photo for this real quick. Okay. Because it's an all time great. This scenario never happens. It's a living room that is obviously well lit. Mm -hmm. Obviously the white mat has just been digitally enhanced to make it look bright and good. The child is much older than three, I will say. But fundamentally... The child is sitting at a tiny desk 
in the middle of a living room on a rug with a like this scenario. Oh, and the thing doesn't have a it might have a power cable back there. Yeah. But you don't see like it's just in the middle of the room on yeah. the desk. Yeah. And I'm what in what circumstance are you like, child, I have created a portal to your grandparents. <laughs> it lives in the middle of our living room. <laughs> it's a small desk that you may use at your at your leisure. <laughs> Like this thing is gonna end up in corners. It's gonna end up in, maybe in kids' rooms. But you don't. Do you want a camera in your kids' rooms that somebody else can operate? A really like, like ugly camera. Like, not even a good looking one. I think a good question is like, where in your home will you put this? Because this this photo. Also, this kid looks very old, and the game they're playing is just an insult to their intelligence. <laughs> <laughs> like it's like find a picture of a dinosaur. <laughs> like no, they're way beyond this dude. Yeah. But here's the thing, like they, they got Disney and SpongeBob and, you know, Pixar and whatever on board. They got, I think Dora's on here. They're going to sell accessory packs. So like it comes with a Tangram pack and there's going to be other packs. I guarantee you there's going to be like a Hot Wheels pack at some point where like you put the car on there and then like, you know, they drives around or whatever. So as usual with Amazon's gadgets that have cameras on them, we're all like, ah, privacy nightmare. But we don't know. It could be that like, the rest of America's like, nope, this is cool. We're we're in it. We we want this thing. Yeah, I know. I I'm just, I keep thinking about the grandparents side of this. Yeah, the yeah. grandparents are still sitting at home using their iPad Air two. Yeah, right. Like, kind of not getting paid attention to, and like trying to play some game. And they have to log in. And don't they have they? to log into that? Like, I the experience has to be great on both sides. And to be like, kid, you get a fun piece of hardware to sit at this desk that I've placed in the middle of the living room. Yeah, mom, you uh. Get you just keep out. on with that iPad, <laughs> right? Like, we'll see. Uh, last bits of Amazon stuff. Anything worth talking about here? It's not a lot. It's package alerts. They did package alerts for Ring. That's cool. They're adding Sling TV to Echo shows. They should have done that ages ago. They do have this cheap thermostat that looks like a copy of an existing thermostat. The Ecobee people are very unhappy about this because Amazon did the bad thing. Mm-hmm. They're like, thermostats are selling. How about we make a cheap one? And if you search for Ecobee, our cheap one will be at the top. Always fun for them. Uh, yeah, it's like wing stuff. That's it. Okay. Uh, last thing we should talk about before we take a break and talk about code. Google had a search event this week too, right, Teeter? They did. Yeah, they did it live. Uh, Google likes to do their events fully live, not pre-recorded. They announced, man, I, I could either talk about this for two minutes and we move on with our lives, or I could talk about it for three hours. And there's kind of no in between. So let's see what we can rush through here. <laughs> the map updates. Let's do the map updates first, because that feels to me like one of the bigger things here. Am I Go wrong? Go for it. I don't know. Like, so, so big, big map updates. One, you, like more people are going to be able to see wildfires and where they're happening. They'll still need internet to see those wildfires on Google Maps, which is like not great in a lot of instances where you're running from wildfires, but it's, it's, it's still a nice thing. And then they're also adding like a, a tree coverage layer. So you'll be able to like see tree coverage and that's, that's going to be really useful for someone. <laughs> I, th- I think the idea is more for like researchers and stuff on that front sure. so they can understand like ambient temperatures and stuff because when you don't have tree coverage, places just feel hotter. And then they also are adding this this new way of like a new, I guess, code so that you can find addresses that don't exist. And, uh, the, you know, the example they used was on a Navajo rever- reservation. I think it was a Navajo reservation going to, to these places that, that don't have addresses, don't have U.S. or American-recognized addresses and being able to find them still by punching this code into Google Maps, which is, like, 
really, really useful for rural areas where a lot of times it is, even when you do have an address, the actual place is totally different and you don't know how to get there. And so you're driving through a cornfield and feeling like you've made a wrong turn somewhere. And this might help that. Does this open source location, you know, descriptor thing that Google's using, is it integrated or related to what three words in any way? Or is it just, it's a completely different system? And they don't actually talk to each other? I don't know, actually. Okay. I, I think I'm assuming not the same. Yeah, I don't think it's the same. It's it's part of this, the, the already existed was, so this is called the address maker. And it's part of like this, this system that already worked. It was called plus codes. Yeah. And yeah, it's just a nice six digit code. You pop it in and you'll be able to find stuff. It's almost like GPS coordinates, but not. I'm assuming we would have gotten a, uh, what three words press release just gushing. Yeah. If Google had decided to work with them. <laughs> so the search stuff, it's a bunch. They, uh, they, you may remember Mum, the multitask unified model, which is their Google's new AI system uh, that's even bigger than BERT, uh, which was their last system for taking uh, knowledge in different like areas of domains and different kinds of visual and auditory and textual search and mashing them together um, in a way not completely dissimilar from the way that uh, GPT-3 is able to take things from different domains and put them together. If you haven't listened to Ashley's uh, special Tuesday Vergecast episode about that, you really should. Anyway, so there's some new mum stuff. So if you take a picture of a shirt, say of Matias Duarte, it was very clever that they used uh, him and his shirts. It, you can then ask a you can actually ask a question of the thing you took a picture of to get information from other domains. So socks that match that pattern. That's interesting. They they they're a little bit in overpromise land with mum. Like they said, mum is awesome. Here's the thing it can do. And then there's like 15 other things that search does, and the implication is mum is involved in that, but it's not clear if it is. Anyway, uh, so the thing that's interesting to me is that Google Lens is now getting built into the Google Search app on the iPhone and it's getting built into desktop Chrome. And so their, their push to get uh, Google Lens to be a thing that you actually use and becomes actually useful is getting very real. It's no longer pointed at a flower and have the flower identified to you. It's pointed at the flower and shop for, you know, flower seeds or, you know, pictures of it or whatever. It's always shopping. No one can think of what to do with a camera on a phone except make you buy stuff with it. I invented Google Lens today while I was like, I was shopping. Congratulations. It's been so nice working yeah, with right. you. I when, when are you buying a boat? You know how you like, when you're like on the bus and you, you're like, man, if only this were underground and I could avoid traffic and you're like, oh, I invented the subway. This is like, it was like this. <laughs> same thing today where I was like, wow, I wish I was like, I was looking at, I'm trying to avoid fast fashion and get into slow fashion, you know, more like sustainable, uh, clothing and stuff. And I was like, wow, I wish I could just like take a picture of, of a sweater and then have like other options of it available and, and see it. And I was like, oh, that's, Mm -hmm. that's just Google lens. I've just, (laughs) I just created Google lens again. (laughs) Speaking of shopping, they are expanding their shopping. They're going to do a local inventory uh, so if you want to find something that's nearby uh, and actually in stock, you can do that. Uh, they're also, I believe, they're integrating lens into shopping, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, like ultimately, I was like, are you, are, what does a product page look like on Google, right? Because like Google, Amazon has like a famously optimized product page, right? Um, and so Google's landing pages for products is different because they can, like they integrate other things and blah, 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 blah. And we had a long discussion about a search journey. Um, oh the whole my God. Thing. But the long and the short of it, I 
interviewed the SVP of search and ads and so on and so forth. Um, and from what I can tell, Google wants to provide more answers, more like like full context, not just like a 10 blue links, not just like an answer to your query, but like a whole thing. They're doing this thing where they'll, they'll give you like needs to know, or like if you search for something, they'll give you like an info box that actually has like other things you might be interested in if you know nothing about the subject. Um, so they're providing yet more stuff, which is, you know, problematic on many levels, staying on Google pages. Does Google have a point of view? Are they trying to do view from nowhere? Mm -hmm. Do they have bias? Like there's a whole, there's, a, there's again, three hours of discussion about that. Um, but at the same time, I think they've hit a wall where they can't collect more information from us with their text box, with their search box. Like they're getting ungodly amounts of searches. You know, I forget, you know, 75, some percentage of all searches are still brand new or whatever. But I think that they need more information from us via our searches. They need more context from us via our searches in order to continue their march of making their own product better. So both the inputs and the outputs are adding more context. I think Google needs both to happen, which is why I think they're pushing Lens so hard. And I, I keep joking about shopping, but it is true, by the way, that every every app eventually turns into a catalog. Mm -hmm. Like Instagram is just like full on the march towards becoming a, a catalog, yeah. a shopping destination, and it's because they're out of ad money. Yeah, like all these companies are doing great; they're all just like printing money. Google's an advertising company, Facebook's an advertising company, but like e even the other one, like Snapchat and Twitter, are doing great because all these dollars have moved online. And then Apple like pushed the button, and Facebook had to issue guidance that was like numbers are going down. Yeah. But to make that work, to make that direct consumer relationship work, you also need the sellers to show up and like participate. And I think Google is like not done that yet. Well, they did. It, they did announce a deal with Shopify. So yep. there's that. I think they're, that's I, the deal. Like that's the enabling. Yeah. Like the, the inventory thing sounds like a really good idea, you know, being able to see what's in stock somewhere, but it requires somebody at the store to update the inventory and to like be a willing participant in this. Otherwise it's just going to say limited stock. So yeah. like how useful is that? And also you're asking like, what well, that's going to get sent straight down to like the, the person getting paid minimum wage to be constantly updating that. And it's just, yeah, I don't know if it's actually like as useful and in practice as it is in theory. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Like, are the big box retailers going to want to get their inventory systems to Google? They are not. No. Right. So we'll see. Like, all this stuff is neat, but I think, Dieter, you're right. Like, they need more information on both sides of the search. Yeah. Because they've gone from, we're going to point you at the resource to, we are the resource. Mm hmm. And they've they've got a long they still have a long way to go there. Yeah, I was just gonna say I'm gonna I'm gonna give myself uh, a little little kudos for my, the line that I wrote back for the Amazon piece, which was uh, when we thought about our AI future, we were expecting Hal 9000, and we got Hammaker Schlemmer. <laughs> That's very good. <laughs> All right, we got to take a break. Uh, we're gonna bring on Alex Heath. We're gonna talk about the code conference. We'll be right back. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, 
Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We're back with Alex Heath. Hello, Alex. Hello. We're going to have to do a Heath and Kranz situation. <laughs> yeah. Kranz and Heath. You sound like a private detective agency. (laughs) (laughs) It's a a buddy cop show. I'm so excited for us. What's our first, what's our first one? Our first case. Who's the, who's the straight cop and who's the bad cop? (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, that's a tough one. I'll be, I'll be, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Who has the dog for comic relief? That's what I want to know. That's me. Which one of you, which one of you is Mel Gibson? Who's Danny Glover? (laughs) Oh my God. No, we're not going there at all. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on, moving on. Here's my idea. At the end of the segment, the the listeners can tweet at us. Yeah. <laughs> who's the Cagney and, and who's the Lacey? There you go. That I'm on board with. Alex Heath, we were just at the code conference together. Uh, it was very strange, I would have to say. You had to get tested when you got in. If you left, you had to pay to get retested. We were all had to verify our vaccination status through Clear, which was a real adventure. And we all had to wear red wristbands the entire time we were trapped in the Beverly Hilton. It was very fun. It was just like a very... It felt like we were entering a secure area, but we were in the middle of Beverly Hills. So it was, just, it was strange in that respect, but it was good. What you, would you think of the conference, Alex? I thought it was good. Um, I liked Ted Sarandos. I thought, you know, he was probably one of the newsier speakers we had. And obviously, Elon is always going to Elon. I didn't stay for the last day, though. The last day about psychedelics. I'm kind of mad I missed that. Yeah, so the uh, just to give people a run on the show, you get there, there's the first day of programming, interviews, panels. Second day was chock full. That was Elon day. Lots going on. The third day, uh, Kara Swisher and her great wisdom programmed hangover recovery. So you could... <laughs> Incredible. It's true. This is a, you could it. listen to them talk about psychedelics and how they're the future. Uh, well, if you were selected, you could get an IV drip to enhance enhance your recovery. Yeah. Um, it was really weird. And then people were getting electro stimulation of their muscles. Amazing. So like, imagine like there's an outdoor stage, lots of people just in regular chairs. And like the perimeter of this is like a science experiment. It was very good. It was very entertaining. Let's start with Sarandos though. So Ted Sarandos, a co-CEO of Netflix, he released some data that we should talk about with a weird methodology, but he was just very bullish on Netflix's. I mean, obviously he's a co-CEO, but people are like, your subscribers are down. There's some softness in that. You've got all this competition, and he was kind of like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, I mean, Squid Game, right? Yeah. Squid Game <laughs> runs the world. That was the that was the headline for me, uh, a show that I had never heard of until that comment he made uh, revealing that it is their top show around the world, and now I feel like I can't escape Squid Game content. 
in any of my feeds. I don't know about you all. It's everywhere. It is very much once you like buy a car, you notice that same car everywhere all the time. Yeah. Does it ever happen to you? Or like you, you notice it like, like, oh, everyone is actually talking about this thing that I was completely ignoring. Well, I think it only dropped like last week too. Like it's, it's not like it's been slowly building. It was just like kind of hit with full force and everybody was like, yeah, that looks cool. But Sarandos was like, not only is this thing the most popular show right now, it's like he's like, it's on track to become the most popular show ever or something ridiculous. Which is wild because it's a non-English South Korean show that, to be honest, I have not finished. But based on what I the limited footage I have seen looks absolutely bananas. It's super bananas. (laughs) Can you describe Squid Game to the people? I don't even know if I can. Can you, Dieter? <laughs> uh, so imagine it's like, you know, the, the, the like super wacky physical challenge game shows. Imagine that, but you're trapped on Murder Island. And if you lose, you die. Why is it called Squid Game? Uh, because there's a there's a game as children called the Squid Game that had, you know, convoluted rules uh, in the it was uh, played on a playground on a chalk outline of a squid. And so, like, depending on where you were on the squid, where you had your feet, there's like, you know, it's like a child's game of complicated rules about running around on a squid. And so you take that and then you transpose the idea of a complicated game with weird rules to adults, but they get shot in the head. sounds awesome i'm super down for this two things actually that he said sarando said about kind of netflix's strategy that stuck out to me um which were actually just kind of denials of things that people thought netflix may do but him really like throwing cold water on the idea that they would make a you know piece of hardware like a streaming Mm -hmm. stick uh like a roku competitor saying that you know it's not vital for them to do something like that i would Maybe beg to disagree uh, over the next five years or so, but it was interesting to hear him say that. And then also him saying that they have no interest in buying like a movie theater chain, which um, if you follow any of that commentary, everyone kind of expects that the tech companies will just own all the theaters. Don't they already own theaters like they own one here in, in New York City, right? Yeah, they own the I think they bought the Chinese theater here in Los Angeles where I am. They have a few kind of art house outposts um for screenings and stuff, but I think the implication of that question was like is Netflix going to buy AMC or something like yeah. that? And he uh he was like, "Nope." No, Disney is. Right. He said a third thing too along the same lines. He's like, "We're we're not going to spend money on sports." Mm-hmm. Which is not a surprise. I mean, Netflix has historically said no to sports and no to news and um probably for probably for the best, but yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you, Neil. He was very uh, confident, seemed bullish, and, you know, as a co-CEO should. But, um, I mean, maybe we should just briefly touch on the gaming part, too. Him kind of talking about the gaming strategy that Netflix recently announced, saying it's really just like any other vertical of content for them. Mm-hmm. Kind of a, a continuation of the storytelling they already do with scripted and non-scripted. And that they're going to do their own games and licensed games, um, but wouldn't share anything about a launch outside of, I think they're just testing these in Poland right now. So who knows when we'll get them. He did say it was more mobile focused, which I think I think he said before or Netflix has said before, but which is fascinating to me. Right. Like I personally perceive of Netflix as an app that I use on my television, yeah, occasionally on a tablet. I do not think of it as a thing I use on my phone. That is obviously different for a lot of people. Lots of people watch Netflix on my phone. But What's the big market on phones? It's games. Netflix wants to bundle games in your subscription, so you'll start using the Netflix app on your phone. Uh, and I think that's just so you think about their expansion into like minutes of the day, which is like what they actually care about. Yeah. They're competing for minutes. 
they're like Fortnite's our competitor. They want those minutes. Yeah, but like, look, if 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 Netflix just puts uh like a free ver a, a free good enough version of any number of games that you were paying to play that you see people play on the the subway or the plane or the bus right now if you're lucky enough to be on one of those modes of transportation if they just put solitaire in Netflix they will have a <laughs> gangbusters quarter i'm kind of not kidding that's like all they really need to do well a gangbusters quarter i mean they they have a weird they have a gangbusters quarter in terms of like minutes used right attracting new subscribers and reducing churn yeah, well, uh, that's that's actually what matters. Here. Well, we should actually talk about their numbers then. So, yeah, so the, this methodology is weird. So Sarandos uh, made some news on stage with Kara. He put up slides showing actually let me contextualize this for years. No one knows how anything is performing on Netflix. And like this is a big problem. It's a problem for how people get paid. Like creatives are like, I don't know how my show's doing. Netflix buys and cancels things at on a whim. It appears. The networks obviously don't like it because they want to compare ratings, blah, blah, blah. Now they've got a lot of competitors. They've got the Disney Plus and the Hulus and HBO Maxes of the world. And so they need to – Netflix now needs to prove. They've got the same problem that the networks used to have with Netflix. So they've invented some metrics. There's just no <laughs> other way to put this. They've invented some metrics that we cannot possibly audit. Uh-huh. One is – they're both they're both these uh, <coughs> slides are titled Most Popular Series in Films. Um, and the first metric is view hours, and that is total view hours per title in the first 28 days on Netflix. So the thing launched on Netflix, here's how many hours it was viewed in the first 28 days. In aggregate by all of humanity? Yeah, I guess. Okay. Well, that's not a new metric for them. Like, they've talked about that metric before, I think. But they've done it softly. They've never released a top 10. Right. Right. So, like, this is, like, actual data. So you've got Bridgerton season one. Um, 625 million view hours. That's number one series. Number one film, Bird Box, 282 million view hours. You kind of go through this list, and it's like the top 10 films on Netflix are their own films that they have relentlessly promoted. Yeah. Right? Like, And they all suck. Yeah. They all <laughs> wow. suck. Like, the old guard is fine. It was totally fine. It got me through yet another night of the pandemic. Yeah. I don't even remember but this thing. The Irishman is good. The Irishman is hilarious because it's also 70 hours long. So this 250 million view hours represents three people watching The Irishman. (laughs) Six Underground is horrible, and it's number five on this list. Why does Stranger Things season three have more view hours than Stranger Things season two? Because it's a better season, Kranz. No, because it's in the first 28 days. Okay. So season three got the hype boost. It's not cumulative. All right, right? all right. So that's you can look at that. So that one's fine, and it is... Whatever. It's it's a metric that feels like a, I don't know, a standard digital metric, like a YouTube metric. Yeah. The second one I would categorize as a Facebook metric. <laughs> so this is this is engagement. This is number of accounts that have watched this stuff. And what they are counting is people who have watched a show for more than two minutes. Two minutes? I thought it was even less than that. It's two minutes. Okay. It's two minutes in the first 28 days. To be fair, that is a lot of time to commit to Bird Box. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I keep crapping on Bird Box, but it's uh, yeah. I don't know, man. Like, it's a lot of time to commit to Emily in Paris. We got no clarity on how they're counting that two minutes, right? So, is it Netflix? Like, auto runs a lot of things in their interface. So, you open Netflix, and it is sort of geared toward just like starting a thing. So, you'll sit there. So, we don't know if they're counting those watches. We don't. Know. But their metric is two minutes, 
which is like I don't know, on par for me with the Facebook 30 seconds counts as a view nonsense that they used to. And this list list also looks exactly the same. It's just a bunch of Netflix stuff that they relentlessly promote. And so you can argue at the list. I, I think probably every podcast and local radio DJ in the world has argued about this list and what these shows are. You can find that stuff elsewhere. But to me, the thing that's absolutely fascinating is like Netflix self-promotion works, at least according to their their own metrics, which are not comparable to anyone else's metrics because no one else has standardized metrics. But if Netflix is buying the content and it's promoting it and its stuff works and by its own metrics, their own stuff is the most successful. Netflix is the wholesaler of other people's stuff starts to get really complicated. That and I think it's just interesting that they're releasing this data at all because like you said, Netflix famously never released data or when they did it was impossible to determine. It's like an Amazon chart without the y-axis, right? It's like impossible to to determine what it is. So the fact that they're releasing this at all to me indicates some competitive pressure and that they feel the need to say, hey, like if you make content with us, you know, 82 million people are going to watch at least two minutes of Bridgerton. Um, whereas Apple, you know, we found out through a union shop, uh, has less than 20 million subscribers last week, but you know, we don't really know anything about these other streamers. So Netflix is trying to go, Hey, we have, we have all the eyeballs, you know, stay with us. And I bet over time, these, this data will become more detailed, more granular, potentially independent, independently verified. But for now, yeah, this is a Facebook metric for sure. It's funny that we just call it Facebook metrics. It's just to imply that they're unreliable and not to be trusted. I was going to say they were Bezos numbers, but uh, they both work. Well, Facebook Facebook is like notoriously bad at counting. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> like, especially when it comes to paying people like for advertising. Anyway, it, we'll leave that for another time. Uh, so that was Netflix. Uh, I will say, Mr. Heath, to your point, there's a lot of a lot of calamity in the ratings business right now. Like NBC wants to get away from Nielsen and start its own thing. There's just a lot of like industry pressure on how can we measure anything? Where should these dollars go? If you are an analytics person, please start a blog so that we can read it <laughs> because I'm dying to know how this will shake out. Let's talk about Elon. What do you think of Elon? I mean, you know, Elon's going to Elon. I mean, I knew he was going to want to talk about Mars a lot, but I was surprised at the general lack of conversation about, you know, Tesla, the the main mm-hmm. company he runs. I did ask about self-driving and this, you know, full self-driving beta they're rolling out and the NDA that they make people sign is like, you know, people want Tesla to fail, basically. So therefore sign this NDA. It seems pretty clear that they're trying to suppress, you know, crash reports, that sort of thing. And I just asked him point blank. I was like, you know, why have these NDAs for full self-driving? And he was like, you know, I don't think we need them. Um, <laughs> I don't actually know why we have those. And then, you know, a team of lawyers at Tesla cried. Uh, yeah. I imagine. <laughs> but, um, but nobody will ever know because they themselves have signed NDAs. Yeah. Just <laughs> right. be specific. The NDA that people were supposed to sign for false driving was you shouldn't take or share too many videos of the thing failing. You were free to share all the videos of it being successful. It is notable. They, Kara mostly asked about SpaceX. There was a little bit of Starlink. He was honest talking. It was very much the Elon greatest hits. Yeah. I interview CEOs. I'm well aware that CEOs love to see the greatest hits. Like, there's a reason they're the greatest hits. So he said a bunch of stuff that we've heard him say. But he said a couple of things to me in regards to Tesla. They, he's pissed that the White House had an EV summit and didn't invite Tesla. He was, like, notably angry about that. Uh, Kara asked him why they thought that was. And he said Biden is controlled by the unions. Yeah. 
Tesla famously <laughs> will not have unions at its shop. By the way, the White House's excuse for not inviting Tesla is like world historical stupid. They were like, this was an event about fuel efficiency standards and Teslas don't use fuel. Incredible. <laughs> yeah. like, they really had to backtrack into that one. They could have like dunked on the fact that they can't ship cars. But yeah. instead they're like, no. He had he had several zingers. He had the the when he said the union thing, you could hear everyone in the room be like, oh. Uh, and then also when he was like, you can't sue your way to space. That was good. There were several zingers. That one I, that was that's the one I kind of want to end on. So he he launched several attacks at Jeff Bezos. Kara asked him why the Bezos rocket looks like that, and he was like, well, if you're only designing to go suborbital, your rocket can be smaller. And then like literally did the office look to the camera like, <laughs> I got you. <laughs> Um, which is like very funny. And then he said, you cannot sue your way to space. Amazon blue origin is not Amazon. Yeah. They're both, you know, operated by Bezos, but Amazon responded to this <laughs> by having like their satellite division send us an email of all the times SpaceX has done litigation to prove that. E and it's like, you want us to believe that Jeff Bezos has left Amazon. <laughs> Right. Like he's no longer the CEO and he's not like exerting iron fisted control. Elon says something about blue origin and Amazon is responding. Like maybe there's a little blurriness here that you don't want to lean into. They just really miss him. They care about they him. Just miss yeah. him. <laughs> they just They just got his back. That's all. He's not related. Oh, the, by the way, the exact line was you cannot sue your way to the moon. Mm. Yes, that's a good line, though, because uh, the government has a contract with SpaceX and Blue Origin is suing because they think they were unfairly excluded from said contract. The, he talked a bunch about um, Starship and how that will make things cheaper. His line about the moon was we should go to Mars. That's like where the real action is. And the moon is there. So we might as well go there, too, which yeah. I thought was very funny. He did also. I just want to briefly. He, he We talked a bit about satellite Internet and he did have this weird thing where he's like, a bunch of amateur uh, amateur astronomers are pissed at me, but all the professionals think I'm great. And I was like, hmm. That's not that's true. That's just 100% not true. He's like, yeah. yeah, we've called them all. Yeah. And they, they seem satisfied with what we're doing. And yeah. like, you could just hear the like astro nerds in the crowd be like, what? what? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, okay. they're, like, they're checking their call history. He's like, no, no I, did, I did miss a call from Elon. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that was strange. He was like, we don't want to get in the way of astronomers, but they obviously, you know, there's like, Big satellite constellations are going to get in the way of astronomers. He did walk back, I think, some expectations on Starlink. Mm -hmm. Oh. Right. I mean, the, the hype around Starlink is, to this day, is, as high as it can be. Um, it's still in beta. But he was like, this is for 5% of the world's pop, the 5% of least connected people in the world. We're doing it because we want to create a revenue stream that can fund the development of other stuff. This is a good one. We think there's benefits to connectivity. But he said, maybe three times, maybe four this is not meant to compete with 5G and fiber. Yep. This is a complement to those things for, for areas that can't be connected, which to me represents a significant reset of expectations about what Starlink is and what it can do. Yeah. Because when he tweets about it, he's like, you're going to be able to mount it on the back of your RV and go anywhere. Like, and yeah. I, like, if the thing is indeed about to come out of beta and they're actually going to open it up, again, I have a Starlink. People are going to plug it in. They're going to see what it can do. <laughs> and like, Yep, when it works, it's great. And if there's a tree in the way, it's not great. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's just as, as simple of a review of that product I can give you. So if you live in a city, you live anywhere with lots of obstructions, there's a reason he's now saying it's only for the 5% of least connected, the people who will build towers over the trees because they have no other choices. Mm. So uh, that to me is interesting. We'll just we're gonna keep track in Starlink. Oh, and he talked about crypto. And he was like, I'm not as into it as people think I am. 
Yeah. Yeah. He was very vague on crypto and someone asked a blockchain question and he was like, yeah, it sounds, sounds good. I'm generally for public ledgers. I mean, he talked about how the payment rails are outdated and, you know, obviously PayPal, he has a lot of actual knowledge about that kind of stuff, but, um, yeah, he didn't hype Doge or Scott Galloway likes to call it Doja, um, (laughs) or anything like that. So kind of disappointing. Yeah. And Kara tried to push him on China and he was like, you know, the real problem there is no face to face meetings. So real, that was his real answer. Yeah. So when those come back, our U.S. Chinese relationships will snap right back into place. But overall, like I said, greatest hits. Yeah. He has a cool helicopter. He has a cool. He did arrive in a helicopter. Very um, loud. Uh, and I, you know, the the Alex, you asked a good question, but overall, the other questions were like, "Can you put a roof rack on my Model X?" And Elon was like, "Well, the doors go up, so that's very <laughs> challenging for us." <laughs> Not <laughs> one question about the Cybertruck. I was like, yeah. "Where's the Cybertruck?" Didn't they already announce it's delayed? They did to 2022. Yeah. I they announced the date. No, I, don't, I have asked Elon at previous code conferences. I've asked him about like delivery dates and he was like, it's ready when it's ready. And like, I think people are just used to it now. Like yeah. Tesla delivery dates in particular are, are fantastical ideas. Okay. Sasha Nadella was also there. You know, he said a lot of leadershipy things, but he said two things that stuck out to me. One was Kara just asked him what happened with TikTok. Oh, God. In the Trump administration. So good. <laughs> and I, we know Sasha a little bit, right? We've, I've interviewed him. Dieter's talked to him. Like, he's a familiar character to us. He's usually very buttoned up. He's very professional. And the entire time he was trying to explain what happened with Trump and TikTok, he was just on the, on the edge of cracking up. Yep. Like he could <laughs> not hold it together. He said it's the strangest thing he's ever worked on. Yeah. And yeah. He tried to, he tried to not have to talk about it. He's like, you know, and then some stuff happened and then the rest was history. It all fell apart. <laughs> and Kara was like, no, no, say what happened. Uh, so he was like reminder. So for people who have already forgotten this extremely strange period in our nation's history, Trump was going to hold a rally. People, not as many people showed up as he thought. God, I forgot That's to include the rally context in the post. Oh my God. So Trump was going to hold a rally. Yeah. As many people showed up. The mechanism by which people did not show up is still unclear to us. But the rumor is that a bunch of teenagers got on TikTok, registered for the rally, inflated the numbers, causing them to open a second remote viewing location for this rally. Yeah. Because the numbers are so inflated. Yeah. And that the TikTok teens had pranked Trump. Yep. Do we know that this actually happened? Right? Like, no yes, the TikTok teens did a thing, but did it cause still fuzzy? Trump believes the TikTok teens did a thing to him. Yep. So he responded to this by saying, TikTok is Chinese. We're going to ban it from America tomorrow. He did this on the flight back home from the rally. Yep. God. Like he just announced it to reporters in the back of the plane. And so all the reporters <laughs> like Trump says to ban TikTok in that way that like people insisted on believing that Trump was going to do things. You know, uh-huh. <laughs> there's an LCD factory in Wisconsin. There's a, there's a um, website. <laughs> There's a way Google's anyway. So now there's like this huge cycle about TikTok stuff, and out of all this emerges, Microsoft is going to buy TikTok. They yeah. brokered a deal with Microsoft, and so Nadella is trying to explain how this happened, and he's like, first understand that TikTok came to us. He was very insistent on that. Yeah, yeah. He's like, TikTok came to us. We were available. We thought it was like interesting AI play, and we also ran LinkedIn, so we have some knowledge of how social networks work, and we have Xbox, like. We thought we thought there was a match. We thought we could do some stuff. We're good at trust and safety. He uh, Microsoft runs Photo DNA, which is the industry standard child protection photo like image algorithm. We talk a lot about CSAM in the context of Apple. Yeah, the actual industry standard one is called Photo DNA. It's Microsoft. He's like we had that. 
we felt like we could put it all together. And he's like, and then they just went away. Yeah. He's like, we just didn't hear from them. <laughs> he got ghosted uh, by TikTok? <laughs> he got ghosted by the <laughs> government. He was like, they just lost interest in this. Technically, there was a deal with Oracle, sort of. Yeah, they went away, and then Oracle got this deal, and that deal never happened either. And now TikTok is just like rocking. They have a billion users around the world, and no one's like, whatever. So the, the whole time he was trying to tell the story, he was just like cracking up. Like, he could not bring himself to like be straight-laced, Sasha Nadella, like, you know, the five elements of leadership that I come back to every day. He was like, I don't know, man, that was really weird. <laughs> <laughs> and then he had this other line about Apple where he was like, here's a lesson we learned at Microsoft. When a lot of people are complaining about something you're doing, there must be something you're doing that's bothering people that you should reflect upon. <laughs> yeah. And then the next morning they open up the Windows App Store. <laughs> yep. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's good. I, overall, I thought that, that was interesting. It's worth checking out when, when those clips come online. I wonder if he's aware that a lot of people are complaining about how they're forcing people onto the Edge browser in Windows 11. I like Edge. I, I can't complain. Dieter and I have a conspiracy theory, which, by the way, to, in all fairness, we, we have laughed about with Microsoft's uh, PR people. Our conspiracy theory is that they saw us waiting in line to ask questions. Yeah, like me at one microphone and Dieter and another, and we were like texting each other, and they're like, "Hook him, pull him off the stage." <laughs> <laughs> the reality is that my strat for asking questions is just bad. I don't get up to the microphone soon enough, and so I end up just being like the sad guy standing there, hoping that they're gonna let one more question yeah. in. That was that was me at the code conference. They told us they had a plane to catch, and I was like, "That dude flies private. Come on." <laughs> no, it was like he's got a plane to catch in forty minutes. That's like the <laughs> comment. That is not how fast planes go <laughs> through security. Um, Maybe anyway, for him. It's all we were. It's all just goofs. Don't worry. Like he left. We have asked many questions to him before, and we'll ask many questions of him later. Gary Gensler is there, chairman of the SEC. Interviewed by Preet Bharara, host of Stay Tuned with Preet, which is another Fox Media podcast network show. Preet was like, "What are you going to do about crypto?" And I would say, for one hour, Gary Gensler said nothing. Absolutely nothing, nothing. Nothing of value. But he was incredibly eager to say nothing. He he was like, "I'm here, and I need you to hear me say nothing." <laughs> one of the most one of the tensest moments of code was when someone got up and asked him about his comments about how, you know, we can't have thousands of private currencies. That's unsustainable. This is the Wild West. We need to tame it. And then he this guy just went on this like 30 second rant about DeFi and was like, actually, these are not all currencies. Like, would you call AWS a currency? Like, you know, someone's if someone's building a decentralized cloud database, like he really tore into him and he was like, basically saying, like, respectfully, you have no idea what you're talking about, is essentially what he said. Yeah. And then Gensler just sat there, took it in and was like, I will take that feedback in the spirit that it was given. And, <laughs> um, I asked Gensler about stable coins and he filibustered for about two minutes. Yeah, I, the vibe from Gensler was like, he's thinking about doing something with crypto, but he will not tell us what it is. And it's either yeah. going to be really um, nuclear or nothing at all. And yeah. I couldn't tell my theory, you know, cause I, I did an interview with code and we were like trying to book people and like, you have those conversations. Do you want to come onto the code stage? And like some of it is, yep. It's just a big fancy stage and CEOs want to be on it. They want to get interviewed by Kara. It's like a badge of honor, but a lot of times they, they want to have something to say. They like, it's an opportunity for them to say something new or in the case of Strandos, break some news, like whatever, like, they're there with a reason. And I could not identify 
what Gary Gensler's reason for being a code was, except... Yeah, he was there on Zoom. I think it was to like bicker with Preet because apparently Preet was also up for the role at one point for like oh, SEC chairman. And there was like an awkward moment where they were like, you could tell, like he was like, well, what would you do in my job since you almost had my job? That was great. I will say as somebody who like did an interview on that stage, uh, Preet doing an interview in a live room over Zoom, he was very good. Yeah, he was uh, good. I don't know that I would have been able to, to hold the audience's interest both in a content-free, like, my interview is saying nothing and we're over Zoom. Very challenging, I think. It was fun to listen to. They did bicker quite a bit. What did Preet say? He uh, Preet asked him some question, and Gensler was like, I can either confirm or deny that I'm looking at that. And he's like, what does it feel to, like, get that answer instead of give it? Because that was what Preet <laughs> used to say as the U.S. attorney. It was good. Heath, you were way more into the Ari Emanuel conversation than I think I was. So Ari Emanuel is the most, he refused to call himself an agent, but he's the most powerful agent in Hollywood. He runs William Morris Endeavor. He just bought another agency for billions of dollars. He owns the UFC. Entourage. He's Yeah, he's the inspiration for the Ari character in Entourage. It's funny that he's the most famous for that when he's also just like the most powerful man in Hollywood, <laughs> but so it goes. He had this line that the, the market for content is infinite, but he said a bunch of other stuff. The TAM. The TAM, the TAM. for content is infinite, the which is something I just want to tattoo. I just want to tattoo that on my chest. <laughs> what is the TAM? TAM? Total addressable market. Okay. Yeah. Can you tell the three of us were there and all of us were like, wait. <laughs> uh, but you, but he, you were like into this. Explain why. Yeah. I mean, it was interesting because there, a giant merger had happened with CAA, which competes with his company and another talent agency like the day before. And so there was a lot of talk of like consolidation in the industry. How is big tech kind of uh, forcing this consolidation so that people have more leverage against these, you know, $2 trillion companies that are now doing streaming? But Ari, you know, he's very like loose cannon, um, similar to Elon. Like you can tell his handlers are not, you know, he actually doesn't have any. And he was just kind of like, yeah, no, it's the best time ever to be uh, talent in Hollywood, you know, because, you know, it used to be that you would get like a back end deal and then maybe that would work out for you if the movie did really well in theaters. And now all the streamers are paying back end deals up front. So everyone's getting more money up front, even though maybe that takes a little bit of the upside away. And, you know, he, he got asked about some things like Cameo, which is that celebrity, you know, shout out app and, you know, said he thought that was cool, but kind of dunked on it a little bit, kind of dunked on it a little bit. And really, like, I enjoyed the bickering with Kara about the future of movie theaters. And he was adamant that movie theaters are not going to go away, that they're going to remain essential to American life, um, which I think he's probably right on the margin. But I, I agree with Kara that they're not going to be as big as they once were. But yeah, just mostly like, you know, a nice tussle about the future of the, the entertainment industry. And he's he's just a fun character. We should say, by the way, uh, for context uh, on that streamer stuff, um, Disney and Scott Johansson settled their lawsuit. Yeah. Right. So the, the, I, the obvious pushback to what he was saying about the best time for talent is like one of the most famous people in Hollywood is suing Disney because of theatrical distribution and going to Disney+. Plus. And I think there was some feeling that lo like both sides were dug in and that lawsuit would actually create some precedent. But instead, they just settled and Disney paid the money. Like now, now we'll never know what the actual, and we don't know the terms. So now we'll never know what the delta between here's what you should get paid up front and here's what a theatrical back end pays you should be, except millions of dollars. Do you hear anything else from Code you want to talk about? Well, actually, Neelai, you were on stage and you had an interview with Waymo. Yeah, that's fine. I, like I was on stage. We we're going to run that interview in the decoder feed. Yeah. I interviewed the co-CEO of Waymo, Takedra Mawakana. She yep. is great. I asked her what was taking so long with self-driving cars. 
But we don't need to recapitulate that here because like any good content executive, I'm trying to ladder you into my other show, uh, Decoder <laughs> with Neelai Patel, which is available in the feed. Can I say one thing about flying cars? So they also had Kitty Hawk there, which is the Larry Page, Google co-founder funded flying car startup run by the guy who started Google X, their moonshot factory, uh, giving his you know pitch for Kitty Hawk that he's been giving for years. And I talked to someone who shall be anonymous at the conference who may or may not have worked at Google at one point who told me that the, literally the idea for Kitty Hawk uh, started because Larry and Sergey, the other Google co-founder, were obsessed with figuring out how to effectively get Google employees from the Bay Area down to Google's office in Mountain View in a way that would avoid traffic. And so they were like, flying cars. And so <laughs> they just came up with flying cars. And that was the genesis of, uh, <laughs> of Kitty Hawk. Uh, it was a way for Google to improve its its traffic uh, route for employees. And 15 years later, they parked a small glider in the, the lobby of a hotel. And the person was like, we didn't really think about what would happen if there are actually hundreds of these little flying cars <laughs> up in the air. Like, <laughs> what's going to happen? Okay, we, we should do a little lightning round. We've gone, we've gone over. Uh, there are going to be new logos for USB-C cables. No. The most delightful ongoing disaster. You, by the way, you complain about the EU doing regulation. The free market of the tech industry is responsible for USB-C. No one's in their way. And this is what they've come up with. They've proven why they need someone over with. Putting that idea out there. Like, maybe just Dieter should be the regulator. Oh, God. <laughs> you can just tell them what to do. Um NBC and YouTube TV are having a very boring contract dispute, but it means NBC might leave YouTube TV. I'm just all I'm saying is every old, every new thing turns into the old thing. Like YouTube TV is just being a cable company right now. Um, there's a bunch of little Android news, and I will say this: uh, Nintendo categorically denied that there's a 4K Switch Pro in development, which they should not. They should just be like, yes, of course we we're going to make another Switch. That's the thing that we do. Anyway, all that stuff's on the site. If you hear Heim Gartenberg crying anywhere, it's because he has to write another USB-C story. <laughs> Three things I want to point out, and then we got to get out of here. Uh, the Elizabeth Holmes trial is ongoing. I just talked to John Carreyrou, that reported the journal, who broke all those stories on Decoder. But Liz Lopato is at the trial. Um, I will say her her coverage of that trial is by far some of the most popular stuff on our site. Um, so when she is available to that, we're going to have her on the show and talk about it. But go read that. She's there. Um, Zoe has another story about Apple leaks employee unrest there uh she is remains the single most interesting apple reporter right now and then we talked about blue origin and spacex a bunch of blue origin employees put out an open letter it's like 20 some employees current and former saying the place is rife with sexism and doesn't care about safety big deal go read that they were on cbs and stuff um uh, all that's on the site lots of other stuff on the site it was a real busy week great week uh go read the website you can tweet at us Kranz is Alex H. Kranz. Heath is Alex E. Heath. Same format there. I'm glad that you guys have made this really easy to figure out. We coordinated. Peter is Backlon. I'm at Reckless. We love hearing from you. Uh, like I said, John Carrier is on Decoder. Next week, we're going to run the interview with uh, Takedra from the Code Conference. And the AI series on the Vergecast continues to rock and roll. Last week was text generation, as Dieter said. This week, big finish, AI smell and taste. Hmm. It's a fun one. All right, that's it. Rock and roll. Get the shot. Come to our party. Thanks to Canva for their support. Canva wants to make your presentations come as easy as those thoughts that pass through your head. 
And thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work.